Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about value, selling value, delivering value, marketing it, and all things connected. And today, I'm really pleased to uh, have Lee Smith, who is uh, founder and CEO of Sales Fuel, a company that does some really spectacular things for sales organizations. Lee, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Uh, I'm really excited to have you here. We've had several conversations at, at meetings and trade shows and, and over the phone. And so I was really excited to, to have you here to talk a little bit about uh, not only what you're doing, but what's coming up, because I think you've got some exciting things happening. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about your background and your experience, and, and um, let's, let's get started with that, I guess. Yeah, I've been a veteran of sales and sales management for about 35 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, so that, that went into my company sales fuel, which I started back in 1989 and, you know, had to reinvent the company a couple of times along the way. And that's just how it goes when, you know, as an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, that's how you get longevity. And so, uh, first created a product called AdMall, which is now used by most of the leading uh, media sales teams and ad agencies, uh, their new business development departments across the United States. And uh, then more recently, then created a uh, data-driven uh, developmental sales coaching platform called Sales Fuel Coach. And then, uh, you know, and, pe- and, and using that, we have clients and they kept asking us, like, can we use it for hiring? Can we use it for hiring? And so uh, released the Sales Fuel Hire earlier, uh, well, later in the year last year. And so uh, those have been our, those are our three main products. And of course we do the customary consulting, I'm a behavioral analyst as well, so I'll jump in there and, and help people with the particular personnel problems that they're having and uh, share my experiences as well as uh, being analytical about it. I'm a big believer in using data as a second set of eyes just for, for everything, whether it be sales discovery, whether it be information, intelligence about your prospects, you know, about your sales team, about the people you're trying to hire, about your management. Uh, I'm a big believer in that, uh, yeah, you have, you can go with gut intuition. That's important because that's based on your past experience. You can go on the eye test. That's important, but you also have to use data then to just to, just to verify that what you think you're seeing, you're actually seeing. I, I love that. And there's a ton to unpack, but I want to take a park on something that I'm uh, really keen on lately. And that is using your customer to guide your product development. And so you kind of, you, you had a one brief thing where you said you started with a coaching platform, but customers were asking you about help in hiring new people. Mm-hmm. Let unpack that a little bit, because I think that's really important for, um, lead, for company leaders to be able to, uh, it, it, you, you launched it off like a flippant thing, but that's actually a big deal. And so, yeah, and, and it kind of is even even with our AdMall product. I mean, it started off a, a, as one small thing, and then people said, "Can you make it do this? Can you make it do that? We really need help with, in this particular area." And so we broadened out our research offerings and the amount of intelligence that we provided there. 
And so it, it's always been about you know, having a rapid response to the customer. I think rapid yeah. response, particularly in this day and age with this economy that we're in right now, uh, is even more important than ever. Yep. And, you know, the, and, and a good way to do that is, uh, I believe, is you, is you gotta set up a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An insight center is kind of what we call it. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer that sales and marketing alignment is never more important than it is right now. And for that matter, bring in product development into the mix as well. And have a, a centralized source of insights, not just from third parties, but also every time that you, you do a demo, uh, if you have a SaaS product or, or you, you, you have a big sales presentation, something like that, put it, you know, share with everybody else in that channel what the customer is saying, what the customer's challenges are, you know, what they found the most interesting, what you thought they was going to go over big, but, it, you know, but they yawned at. Uh, and, you know, any type of customer feedback then from existing customers about, you know, how they're using the product then, is it delivering on the promise and the solution that, that, you, that you promised or is it not? And then what additional resources do we have to put behind that? So it's, it's sales, it's marketing, it's customer retention, which can include sales enablement. And, and product development. And anytime there's a new piece of information, you put it in that centralized repository so that everybody can see it all at once rather than, you know, well, we'll put it, we'll, we'll summarize it in email, we'll send it out in a, in a week or so, something like that. No, it really has to be immediate because uh, it can affect then, wow. you know, the training that gets developed, the marketing that gets developed, the product that gets developed, and, and of course, in the rest of the sales team as well. Yeah, Lee, uh, it's, it's like you read my book. Uh, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So the idea is that when your uh, AdMaw clients asked you, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Mm -hmm. They didn't give you the product definition. They gave you the kind of the outcomes and you had to tease out the outcomes they were seeking and you had to pull together, well, that looks like a product that looks like a coaching platform. Usually what happens is, is, is they'll they'll share the ideas like the outcomes that they want and they'll say can you make it do this and my uh, inside voice you know things like you got to be kidding me that's impossible and then uh i chew on it i chew on it and i and i solve the puzzle you know you know a month or two at a time and and maybe it takes a couple of years you know until technology catches up or uh you know i have resources to be able to solve that problem but it's like you know it's like you know, I, I love the challenge and I keep chewing on it until I'm able to, to, to come up with a, you know, it's not just a product that's the solution either. You know, it, it's the successful use of the product that's the solution. So yeah, you, have to, uh, you, know, you I, know, I I preach over and over that it's about the customer outcome. Customers don't buy coaching. They don't buy AdMa. They right. don't buy, they buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. So and I, it's, and I, and it's and I a, yeah. salespeople that your know, outcome leads to income. Yeah. So it's like if we're always singly focused on the outcome for the customer, then it's like the income will follow. That's exactly right. Um, you also use the term, uh, you first call it an insight center, and then you use the word rep repository. In my book, I call it a repository for insights. And I don't care if marketing is the holds that, is the custodian for that, or sales does, or product does. I don't care who is the custodian. I care that somebody's doing it because I think it helps works best when the CEO actually starts it. And because that puts the weight behind it and it says, okay, this is what I'm setting this up for. This is how I expect this to be used. And, and also it helps guide leadership for that matter as well. If they actually see if things are going as, 
as they expected to or or not and allows them then to adapt more quickly uh, to, to changes in the economy that we're in right now everything is changing from day to day i mean much more quickly than, than usual and so because of that we need to be able to respond a little bit more quickly than, than usual and an idea like that allows that to happen yeah you know and you've got people who are customer success and installation and implementation. And those people gain insights as well that need to be brought back to the hive and put into that repository. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and because it's, it's really all about a collective. It is about rapid response. And, you know, more importantly, though, it's like in, in today's economy, it's adapt or die. Yeah. Uh, right. So we've all had to do things differently than we've done them before. And we've had our customers have to do things differently than they've done them before. I mean, we have people then that are manufacturing a completely different product than they were manufacturing six months ago, you know, just to survive and keep their people busy. Uh, and likewise, it's like as salespeople, we need, you know, we've had to change how we sell. We, we're doing a lot less in-person sales calls you know, th than we used to. And, uh, but you know, that also goes into the product development side of it as well. It's like, yeah, we have to adapt and adapt rapidly. Okay, so I'm gonna just briefly uh, ask you, did. Did that repository that did that was that like a, a standalone customer data profile or did you start it on a spreadsheet and how did that grow and develop and how do you use it is is it important that it's the perfect tool or is it important that it's the tool you know the the technology is not the issue I started this decades ago you know as email thread. And then it became a, a chat thread, and now it's a, a channel, you know, on Teams or Slack. We've used Slack, and now we're using Microsoft Teams, so it's a channel there. Uh, that's all it is. It doesn't need to be standalone. Doesn't need to be fancy. Doesn't need to be vetted or anything like that. It actually shouldn't be vetted. It should be a stream of consciousness. So it's like uh, the simpler you make it, the better. Just get it done. I, you know, I, I love that, and. and <laughs> Your, your, the last word you said, just get it done. Because that, as a leader, as a company leader, that helps you understand. I, I want to uh, share with you some research I, got, uh, I found from McKinsey and Company uh, in 2012 and 13, or 13, 14, I forget which. They did a survey of company directors in two consecutive years. And then I think the numbers were so embarrassing, they stopped tracking it after that. But... Um, or else that partner got sidetracked. Anyway, they tested, they asked directors uh, if they could articulate the value, the customer value that the company that they were a director of um, produced for customers. And 22.8% of the time, and then the next year is like 24% of the time, they could articulate it. So the mm -hmm. three quarters of directors don't even know what value. And as a leader who, you, you started your company understanding value and, and getting that value insights. Uh, you're kind of at the other end of that spectrum. And tell, tell me, tell us what that has allowed you and your company to do that your average for-profit or for-process company couldn't do. So my company is, you know, a, a firm under 50 employees. And, you know, I view agility as, you know, the biggest advantage that we have over our larger competitors. And so if we're not taking advantage of that, then, you know, we're squandering, you know, you know, what makes us special and, you know, what, what can make us great. 
So it really all comes back, back to that. So understanding that being in alignment with the customer, having you know a that really tight relationship with the customers, and putting them you know above all else. That's where the money comes from. So uh, everyone's mission in the company is to make our customers successful. Period. And we do that. You know, their outcome leads to our income. So that's what we're all about. And that then allows us to be more agile and take full advantage of, of being a company of, of, of under 50 uh, consultants and, and, and specialists. That's great. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, I've seen your presentation about some of the toxic personalities and um, tell me a little bit more about how you help companies hire great salespeople. It, Really, it, it's really all about mindset, you know, and a lot of people say, well, do you hire for culture or do you hire just for, you know, uh, job capabilities and competencies? And the answer is yes. Uh, but that's that's certainly not the only thing. I'm a big believer there are four fits that a great salesperson has to be able to meet. Uh, you know, number one, of course, is job fit. Yeah. Do they have the qualifications? Can they do the job? And, and will they be successful? Can you predict in some way, shape or form that they'll be successful in the job? So in sales, obviously, you want to run them through some sort of sales aptitude test. And I'm a big believer in that you also run them through an, an audition. If it's good enough for the voice or American Idol, it's good, you know, good enough for a six figure sales job. So you know, they actually prove that they, they can do the job. So job fits number one. The second most important thing though is manager fit. Uh, the man, the sales manager is the person within the company that the salesperson is going to be interfacing with the most. It's also then the person that causes the sales people to leave more than any other. Uh, people don't leave bad that, jobs. They leave bad managers. That's exactly right. You know, Gallup says that number is close to 50%. I have that number for, as far as sales manager goes, it's close to 40%, but it's still very, very significant. And, you know, when we talk about sales coaching, that's, that is, you know, the salesperson has to be able to trust that the, that manager has their best interest at heart, that, that, that they, uh, that they not only want them to be successful in sales, but also, uh, professionally and personally. And yet that trust isn't there, you know, or, or if they're, they're constantly butting heads, it's like, you know, your sales coaching is not going to be very effective either. So manager fits number two, the number three thing is company fit. That's where culture comes in for sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's not just the company culture, but it's also the team culture. Uh, and there are two different things. I mean, so company culture is usually something that gets written up and, and platitudes and put on a website somewhere and forgotten about then. But, but your real culture, you know, in sales is your sales team culture and how well you work and play with others on, on the sales team. And will you fit in there or will you not? And then the fourth thing then is customer fit. And, you know, this is really important as well. And it's something that really gets overlooked. So if your customer is expecting somebody that is buttoned up, that, that has a college education, that, that has experience in working with CEOs of, of, of Fortune 500 companies, and you as a salesperson are not, you know, you're used to selling garden tractors or, or something like that, you know, and dressing in blue jeans every day and, you know, with a high school education. and. Uh, that sort of thing. It's like, that's not somebody that that customer is going to trust then with vital business challenges and information uh, to, to be, and look upon them as a trusted resource. So customer fit is a big thing as well. And, and those four things, you know, all have to be met. But the thing that that is the common thread in all that is, is mindset. And, you know, both sales rainmakers, you know, the, 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 your top salespeople, your really great salespeople, top 15%, you know, 
they have you know, they have strong values and beliefs which leads to their motivation their motivation leads to their behavior and those behavior leads to positive you know that gain sales results uh, on the other hand though the very worst mistake that you can make in hiring is to hire a toxic salesperson and you know I will preface that too in today's economy you know every position really counts all right so every I mean it always has but now more than ever you simply can't afford to make a mistake and the worst mistake that you can make is not hiring a bad salesperson it's hiring a toxic salesperson so these are people that you know they have very strong beliefs of their own but they're usually negative and they're usually limiting and you know that leads to motivation that, that that's controlled by needs that they have and so everything is dictated by you know their own needs as, as, as part of instead of their desire then to drive return on investment yeah. and please the customer that leads to behavior that's divisive and self-serving and dysfunctional uh, and of course the net results on that is a net loss even if the salesperson is moderately successful what, what that will more than be offset by all of the chaos and trouble that they're causing by by actually decreasing the performance of other people in the sales team that's so. yeah i was just what was the lights and the sign that was blinking in, in front of my eyes as i was listening to is the, the sports analogy is that somebody's a, a cancer in the locker room cancer in the locker room yeah and um it, it it's not their performance that you're worried about it's the entire team's performance that are dragging down or distracting or misdirecting um you said the second fit was manager fit which mm -hmm. kind of gives me a clue uh if that's one of your four fits that kind of gives me a clue as to why you kind of broadened into a coaching platform if that's one mm -hmm. of the four fits and uh, i'm a huge believer uh, when i was at miller hyman i was one of the people who was certified first and most in all of their coaching methodologies and so i'm a i'm i'm a coaching geek um and you can't you can't convince me that coaching isn't the most important part uh, and coaches are a force multiplier. And yeah, so as long as, as long as you actually do coaching, that actually really is coaching. I think so many times that sales managers, you know, think that a pipeline review or a status check is coaching. And it, it, it really, it, unless you're, you know, asking questions in that, that helps them come to their own conclusions about how they're going to advance the pipeline, unless you're doing that specifically, that's not coaching. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. I, I give oversimplified, um, the top line of my coaching advice is oversimplified. And then uh, the where I go is I want that coach to really press the salesperson to, to make sure they can articulate the customer's desired outcomes. If you know as a salesperson all of your customer's outcomes and what they're going to do for them and how much those outcomes are worth to that customer, you've probably pretty much done everything else right. And if you can't, now we have to go into diagnosis mode and figure out what didn't you do that kept you from being able to articulate that. Uh, so so that, that simple top line advice, which is the bottom line, understanding the outcomes which drive incomes, um, then you have to be able to, a coach quickly has to be able to do something with it when, the, when that salesperson can't articulate. What do you think of that? Well, so I'm a big believer that the, the, the power in being a sales manager, just like being a salesperson, is in asking questions. So we start off with helping salespeople ask better, smarter questions during the discovery process, and, and, and which gives them the leverage that they need to, then to be able to overcome objections later in the process and, and be able to close the deal. Yeah. So we started there. And one of the things that we realized then that 
one of the things that was actually keeping sales reps from being the most successful was their management. And good sales coaching is not about giving advice. It's about asking questions and, and allowing the salesperson to come to, to realize the correct answer or the conclusion themselves. At that point, they're already bought in and they're much more apt than to, to, to follow through on it and actually gain some value out of it. And so because I'm a big believer in, in asking questions, we, we also then applied that into our hiring platform, Sales Fuel Hire, uh, by making sure that based on a person's four-point profile, whether it be uh, their sales aptitude, their, their motivation, how well they make decisions, their empathy, things like that, uh, you know, that we actually then prescribe certain questions to ask during the interview process then that specifically speak to their profile. Yeah. And the same, we do the same thing with Sales Fuel Coach where we take a look at a sales rep's profile that's on your team and we provide coaching questions to the sales manager then to bring up during their one-on-one -on -one sessions. And even before that, we'll actually in automatically email those questions and to the rep once a week, they'll answer those, those questions. They come back to the manager for the manager to be able to review them and then bring them up in the one-on-one to actually do a little deeper dive and have a little, a little bit deeper discussion about those particular questions. But it's all specifically uh, designed then to help them improve weaknesses, whether it be in their, in, in their sales or the, or the people skills or the decision-making, all the things that hold the sales rep back to keep them from selling more. Yeah. You know, uh, I used to use this technique with a bunch of my co coaching clients. Um, you know, these are sales managers who are great salespeople and they got to be great salespeople by asking their customers great questions mm -hmm. and asking them questions that cause the customer to solve their own problems and to realize the value of what the, the salesperson's selling. And so I said, you are really good at that. And now you're trying to change your salespeople's mind about, you're trying to sell them on a different way of selling. So don't you think asking your salespeople questions works as well, you know, if, you, if you're, you're, the alternative is telling your salespeople something, do you think that's gonna work any better than it did with your customers when you told your customers things? That's exactly right. And a lot of light bulbs went off saying, yeah, I'm trying to sell them on how to sell, so I've got to ask questions. I've got to get the light bulb to turn on in their head uh, because I don't have access to the switch mm -hmm. from the outside. Um, so it's exactly the same principle. We just have to get them to realize that it's the same principle. And it's asking great coaching questions yeah, to get right. them so to So what we've done is we created a database of hundreds of, of great coaching questions, but they, but they get dealt uh, to each individual sales rep based on their areas of need. Yeah. And or an area of strength that if you really want to maximize that as well, but it's like they're they're so everybody's coaching experience is different. Yeah. It's most importantly the most important thing that, that sales fuel coach does as a platform is that it helps the manager understand what types of questions they should be asking and how to ask them. That's great. So I understand that you're taking um, kind of a personal the, the next level that you're starting to work on a book. Tell me about that. So we just, I just released uh, my very first book. It's called Hire Smarter, Sell More. And it's all about using talent analytics in to be able to spot those sales rainmakers, those great salespeople, and to be able to avoid those toxic troublemakers that, that we talked about earlier. And you know, I've done a lot of research in with, with my friend Steve Sisler of Behavioral Resource Group and where we analyzed 
actually thousands of profiles of salespeople uh, from all different industry, whether they sell, you know, work for a manufacturer, they sell timeshares, sell advertising, you, you name it. And we were able then to, to identify then those that, you know, where the managers had told us that they were having great difficulties with the, with the salesperson, where we were able to identify them as toxic. And we took a look at, you know, what are the, you know, what are the toxic types that are most common among sales? Uh, there, are, there are many more than, than the ones that most commonly pop up in sales, but I have been able to identify 13 that, uh, archetypes that sales teams can, can encounter when hiring a salesperson, or sometimes you inherit them and you try, have to try to coach the, their way out of it, which is uh, very difficult and not usually very successful. And uh, so we started with the 13 types of toxic salespeople. So that's included in my book, along with the four fits principle. And, and I really expound on that. Uh, introduced the concept that we've used called the hiring funnel. You know, you've got a, a you've got a sales funnel for all your prospects. You have to really think about your uh, your, your hiring process in much the same way. And uh, yeah, so it, right down to pre-qualification and all that sort of thing. So we yeah, we just make the analogy there. And uh, and I say we because it's like you know I also rely on you know my research team at Sales Fuel. You know we've created a lot of research with, with among salespeople and sales managers. Uh, about how they're affected by the hiring process, and I include some of those stats in the book. And uh, you know, it's it, it's a, it's a nice, easy read. You know, it's it, it, we start off it's like a regular book to start, then we hit with 140 tips in rapid fashion, rapid fire fashion, uh, that basically all these things can be tweeted, and then we finish up with the 13 most toxic types of salespeople to avoid, and how to recognize them and and, and how to root them out, and uh, that's the book. And it's on available on Amazon now. That's great. Yeah, I, I uh, I'll make sure that I go out and, and get that. So um, we're recording this uh, during the meat of uh, COVID nineteen lockdown, and our um, I I have found that many of the things that were kind of important have suddenly become really important. Are any of those toxic salesperson types more toxic than they used to be? Um, Mark, that is a fantastic question. The first time I've been asked that question, and I love that question because, because here's what happens. Uh, you know, the, most stress, the most damaging type of toxic personality is called the jungle fighter, and they're always toxic. But the other 12 types of, of toxic salespeople either need a, a trigger event or some sort of stressor to, to, to bring that toxicity out. And so when you're dealing with the pressure of, okay, not only do you have to make sales now, not in an office, but now you're having, having to adjust to new technology. You have to, you've got your, your school age kids, you know, also taking classes or you're trying to homeschool them. And, you know, maybe, you, you know, you know, maybe there's furloughs and things like that, or you're, you're sending out a lot more emails than you ever did before because everybody else is, and you're seeing their, you know, while the open rates are going up, the response rates go down and, and people aren't returning your calls in, in, in much higher numbers than, than they have before. All those things are, are very stressful. And so what happens is that people's behavior then tends to revert to uh, who they naturally are. So there's two types of behavior. There's a natural behavior, uh, which is how you react when you're by yourself or you're just looking out for yourself. And there's your intentional behavior, which is you know, your Sunday best is who you need to be to be able to get by and to be able to be successful, whether it be in the role of a parent or of a salesperson or a manager or or, any, or anything else. 
And what happens is under stress, so those, those intentional behaviors tend to erode a little bit and, and you end up backsliding then to, be, to, to your natural behavior who you naturally are. And so if you're naturally toxic, then that's what's gonna rear its ugly head. And so you're, you're seeing that because people, are, everybody's under more, more anxiety, more stress, and uh, you know it, it's not an easy time right now, and it's not a lot of fun. But you know, it, it, it's not just in sales; it's, it's other positions as well. And so, yeah, it, we're, we're going we're seeing more of that stuff pop up right now. And uh, don't discount it just because it's part of COVID nineteen. Yeah, like, that was just a trigger event. Yeah, you know, this is who they were, and this was going to rear its ugly head one time or another. And whether they didn't, they, they lost a big account, or they didn't get a promotion, or or something else, it was it was bound to happen. Yeah, I think that then argues for uh, management and coaching vigilance and uh, empathy and understanding and gentle correction rather than um, some of the alternatives, I suppose. You, know, you, you mentioned the COVID-19 and say so there's going to be a recovery post lockdown, you know, because the states have literally shut down you know, a quarter of the economy called, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and now those are starting to gradually reopen again. And so there's going to be there's going to be a bounce, a recovery there. And and the thing that's there's two things that are going to determine winners and losers post COVID-19 or post lockdown. And one of them we've already mentioned. The number one thing is is agility. And the number two thing though is empathy. And it starts with the fact that your sales reps are anxious and they're nervous. And so you need to that you need to be transparent. You know they're worried about am I going to be furloughed? Am I going to lose my job? Uh, what's going to happen then if I don't make second quarter numbers, those types of things. And so, you know, you need to be able to understand their situation and uh, you need to over communicate right now. Yeah. Uh, and so as a manager, you have to, you have to be empathetic yourself, but I understand that empathy is not sympathy. So you don't necessarily have to buy into, you know, whatever load of bull that, that they might be feeding you or anything like that. So there's a fine line between empathy and sympathy. Yeah, I think uh, a couple things. One, there's going to be a rolling set of normals. We aren't going to have a new normal. Wouldn't that be nice that it was that simple? Because um, we're going to have partial opens ups and we're going to have different states and we're going to have uh, probably different verticals are going to come back more quickly than others. Different verticals are going to come back. And some there's out of 50 states, it's a virtual statistical certainty that a couple of them are going to try to come back too fast and are going to have to go back into lockdown. Uh, so it's going to be a, a constant thing. The other thing is that after every corporate restructuring, every recession, every bad corporate event I have ever experienced, people at a buying organization hunker down and become highly, highly, highly risk averse. Yes. So knowing that and knowing that your world is filled with prospective customers who are extremely risk averse, the sellers who are going to succeed are the ones who are going to be super empathetic and understanding the customer's new situation, the, the salespeople who understand the outcomes that the customer now wants to achieve, uh, which ones are important, and the salespeople who will succeed are the ones who make a customer feel like they are making a safe decision by making a decision. Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, because it's, it's, it's all around. It's safety first, not just from a medical standpoint, but it's like, you know, the, the, there has to be safety in being able to reduce risk. So you make that a safe decision. But before that, though, you, the, the, your prospects need to be able to feel safe with your sales reps and giving them 
critical business information or, you know, opening up and, and showing vulnerability and actually talking about what's really going on in their businesses so that the sales reps can help. If they don't feel safe in doing that, you're not going to get to what the real problem is that, that, that you can solve, the one that they're willing to spend money on in a risk-adverse economy. Yeah, so I've got a whole series of, of webinars and talks and, and with, with different people where we are really focusing on the fact that that was a behavior of elite, of elite salespeople, that empathy, understanding the, the current, um, current set of needs and fitting your solution and making a customer feel like they're making a great decision. That was always the performance of elite salespeople. Now it's gonna be the performance of surviving salespeople. And and the thing is, is that empathy can be measured and we at Sales Fuel measure it, you know, both for, from, for coaching your existing salespeople, but also in, in hiring additional salespeople. And if they don't have it, you don't hire them. And if they're already hired or something like that, you can develop it. I mean, it starts with self-awareness and making sure that they understand the need for it, but also the fact that they need to be able to catch themselves not displaying empathy, but also leading up to that though, it's like, the best way for them to learn empathy is socially through behavior modeling of their manager. Yeah. So, and that's the easiest thing for you as a sales manager to control is the behavior that you're modeling for your your sales team. So, you know, calm begets calm, panic begets panic. So you need to be calm during this, this time period, but you really, you have to show that level of empathy to them first so that they can actually then learn and see, you know, what that looks like number one number two is it's like they're going to take you a lot more seriously when you stress the importance of it and you're actually exhibiting it yourself yeah you're eating your own dog food walking you know you're you're walking the top that's great uh lee this has been a great conversation um thank you so much for your time i am really excited to get this out to people tell us how we can get a hold of you if you would please well, you can visit my company's website, salesfuel.com. Uh, I also do a lot of keynotes, a lot of panel discussions, a lot of virtual keynotes these days. And so you can go to my website, that's the letter C, Lee Smith, at, dot com, and uh, you can learn more about that there as well. And of course, all the products and everything like that that, uh, that, that my company provides, you'll find it on the salesfuel.com website or our mobile app. Great. Lee, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast. We believe that value is something that only exists in your customer's mind, which means your success sits all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.